welcome. Hi, people. Welcome to another episode of Saturday the 14th. The only horror podcast where you not only get to learn about the movies, but also cats, HGTV, and occasionally Disney references. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot happening here, and we do it all for you. Because we love you, we every do. single person listening we right now. regardless of what you've done, but I hope you haven't done anything very bad. And if you've done something terrible like killed someone, we don't love you. Unless you, and you have, should turn yourself into the police. Unless you have a horror movie made about you, in which case we'll probably love you again. We'll love you like as a concept, but not as a person. How was your Christmas, Maddie? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was pretty nice. I actually went to Arizona for a few days and got to see the Grand Canyon and Antelope Canyon for the first time, and it was beautiful. I gotta say, I saw the pictures from Antelope Canyon, and it looked bananas oh my god i want to go again uh, except i want to go when there's actually like sunlight coming through we made the mistake of booking a tour for a little too late in the day so like the sun was setting by the time we got out but mm-hmm. it was still absolutely beautiful and i think a lot more purples and reds came through because of it oh my god and it's not that far right how far away is it like eight hours okay which could be worse yeah that's pretty cool. And got to listen to actually a really cool uh, horror audiobook on the trip. Ooh. That's um, Nosferatu, spelled N-O-S-4-A-2. Is it like a tech vampire story? Um, no, it's actually a license plate, and it's written by it's written by Joe Hill, who is actually Stephen King's son. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and it's super creepy, and it's all Christmas themed. And I was listening to it like three days after Christmas, so. We were driving around, and there were all these Christmas decorations still up, but by, like, halfway through this book, you're absolutely terrified every time, because, like, every time a Christmas carol comes on or every time something Christmassy happens, you know some, like, shit's about to go down. Oh, my God. So it was, like, really appropriate, but also, like, terrifying. I actually read um, some Stephen King, but not Stephen King horror over Christmas. I read um, the first Dark Tower book. Oh! I want to read that. It's good. You can borrow it. I stole it from my brother. Perfect. Um, which is how I get a lot of my books. Did you see the movie? I haven't. He had watched the movie on the plane, and he was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I guess I'll read the book. And it's completely different, I guess. But okay. I haven't seen the movie. But I, I liked the book. And then I actually did read some horror. I read Mira Grant's book, uh, Into the Drowning Deep. Ooh. And it's about mermaids, but like scary mermaids. Ooh, I like that. And it's really fun. Are they still glittery? Yeah, sort of. They're bioluminescent. Yes, I want that. I will let you borrow it because it's really good. Please. I really loved it. Like, I couldn't put it down. I read a book called The Goal that is about operations and bottlenecks last weekend. That sounds really exciting and fun. No. (laughs) I mean, it's interesting if you want to work in, like, supply chain and stuff, but... I don't want to do that. Then there's this whole weird thing about how his wife is at home waiting for him all day and can't understand his business, and so they almost get divorced, but he learns from fixing this plant how to fix his marriage. It makes no sense. It sounds really sexy. It's like one thing. a textbook in novel form. And I mean, it does have a lot of really good business lessons, but at the same time, like there's a lot of weird like 80s stuff going on in it. Cool. Do you know what other book I read recently? Hmm. Frankenstein. Yes, you did. Which is sort of what this podcast's about. Yeah. So what movie are we doing today, Maggie? We are doing Bride of Frankenstein. We started with the sequel. For some reason. Because it was supposed to be, like, the first time that a sequel was actually a lot better than the original movie. Yes, this is one of those. Um, it's a Godfather 2 type situation. It's the Godfather 2 of Universal Monsters. I've actually never seen a single Godfather movie. Ah. 
We can just pretend that's horror one day and watch it for this. I think we can just watch that for our personal lives. We're allowed to watch movies that we don't watch for this podcast. All I watch are cooking shows and rewatch episodes of Parks and Rec. Also, I just watched the season finale and cried a lot last night. Oh, honey. It's fine. It's, very it's so emotional. beautiful. It's the most beautiful episode of television. I watched many episodes of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives last night. I gotta say, I was charmed by him by the end of a couple episodes. Really? Not like in a romantic way. I don't have like a crush on Guy Fieri or anything like that. But I don't. Don't make that face. I don't. Oh my God. Maggie loves Guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh my man. true uh, reality TV show crust. I know I was talking a lot about the Property Brothers a few episodes ago, but Guy Fieri is really where it's at for me. Um, I've been watching a lot of Cooks vs. Cons. Nice. There's no one, like, attractive on that show, and they also no. have new people every week. So, anyway... Anyway, um, let's talk about this movie. Bride of Frankenstein. Um, all right. So, this was uh, made in 1935. It's a universal film. So, it was directed by James Whale and starred Boris Karloff, Elsa Lanchester, and Colin Clive. And it was written by William Hurlbut. And I think, as everyone knows, it was based on the novel Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. His name is Hurlbut. It might have been Hurlbert, but I'm I'm pretty sure it was Hurlbut. <laughs> IMDb, Hurlbut. Yep. William it's Hurlbut. It's just a very, like, interesting name. It's like he hurls out of his butt. <laughs> you Sorry, hurl I'm a horrible butt. human being. <laughs> uh, and it was produced by Carl Lemley Jr. Is that the guy that the uh, Lemley Theaters are named after? Technically, that's his dad. Um, Carl Lemley was a higher up at Universal, and his son was a producer, and he let him produce this movie. Gotcha. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. There's actually a really interesting series uh, of episodes from the podcast You Must Remember This uh, about Boris Karloff and Bella Lugosi, and they go into a bit of detail on Carl Lemley and Carl Lemley Jr. Apparently, Carl Lemley Jr. was a bit of a screw up, but oh, no. he did produce a couple good movies, so... All right, so the budget for this movie was $397,000. I didn't look up what that translates to with inflation. Um, but the box office, what they got back for it was $2 million, which does translate to $36,253,529.41. It's a very specific number, Maggie. Yeah, I punched it into... I copied and pasted it. <laughs> I didn't, like, do that on my own or anything. So, again, I mean, this was one of the early examples of horror movies just having a huge return on investment. Yeah. Invest uh, in horror movie, this. guys. Yeah. It's the way to go. You keep your, your budget low. You don't need a lot of special effects. Um, you don't need famous actors, necessarily. Or, at this point, they were just paying their actors really poorly, even if people didn't yeah, know who they were. Yeah, were all actors to pay just horribly at this point in time? Um, some people were. Some people weren't. If you were a big name, um, then you would get more money. I did just learn recently, I'm actually taking a class called Entertainment Business Models, that the ways in which stars were attached to movie theaters for a long time, I want to say through like the 40s and 50s, um, a judge actually ended up like comparing it to slavery in the sense that they were forced to be with this company and forced to do it for low wages. Yeah. there. I mean, there basically wasn't anything that you could do to get around it. So you would sign with a, a company and then they would control all of your PR. They would control if you um, could work with other companies because they would loan people out from time to time. And it was even like the way you dressed and oh, yeah. things that you said. Like yeah, Every they, single part of your life was completely controlled by them. Absolutely. It would be who you dated, um, where you went. Like they would pick people when they were relatively young and form them into the person that you want to be. I mean, the um, probably the most notable example of it is Rita Hayworth who was Latina mm -hmm. um, and they lightened her skin they used electrolysis on her hairline oh my god because she had a lower hairline and a severe widow's peak and it made her look Latina because she 
was Latina. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't how they were marketing her. And so they did 1930s electrolysis, which I'm sure you can imagine was very painful. Horrible, I'm sure. Um, and they brought back her hairline and dyed her hair uh, auburn so that she would look more all-American. That's insane. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. All right. So what happens in this movie, Madeline? So the movie opens with like Mary Shelley, her husband Percy, and their friend Lord Byron, because they were all biffles back in the day. And um, they're sitting around and talking about how... The delicate young woman created such a scary story as Frankenstein, and she talks about, well, that's not how it ended. Do you want to know how it ended? And of course they want to know. Who wouldn't? And so she goes into this whole story about the creation of the Bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. This is kind of interesting to me, because it is literally the first half of the book. I mean, they change a lot of stuff, but it's basically like they check in halfway through the book and she's like, oh no, more is ahead. And the creation of the Bride of Frankenstein and this whole bride plot does actually show up in the second half of the original novel. So it is kind of like now when they take like the Harry Potter books and they split like the last movie into two movies. It's sort of like they were doing that, but at the first one they were like, this could maybe be it. And then they decided to finish it off. I mean, there's a lot of content for a single book. Now it would be one of those movies that's like three hours long. Like if they did an actual true to the book Frankenstein and these were 71 and 75 minutes total I think each so up to about that yeah Yeah. I mean if you think about it it's 140 minutes so that's about two hours two and a half hours yeah so another interesting fact about the beginning of this movie is that the woman who plays Mary Shelley also actually plays the Bride of Frankenstein at the end of the movie she does and it's, I mean, it's, I think, probably Elsa Lanchester's most famous role. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. But she just, like, looks really cool the entire time. Like, I love her as Mary Shelley. I love her as the Bride of Frankenstein. Like, in both situations, she just looks amazing. She's really cool. Also, like can we lot. talk about the fact that this is called Bride of Frankenstein? And it's about a bride being made for Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. So I'm guessing this title of this movie actually also relates to the fact that people like to call the Frankenstein's monster Frankenstein. Yeah. And they even do call her the bride of Frankenstein in the movie, which is like they should know. Especially no because one else like, in the movie calls the monster Frankenstein. Frankenstein's married also. Yeah, he, he has a bride. There is literally a bride of Frankenstein in this movie and it's a different person. Yes. Yeah. It's so weird. Poor Elizabeth. Poor, poor Elizabeth. All right. So she decides to continue her story, but we flash back to what happened uh, at the very end of the first movie, which was um, Dr. Frankenstein and his creation in a burning mill together uh, where they've run off after the monster attacks on his wedding night. And the mill burns down and they are both believed to have died during this blaze. However, twist, they both survived. They do. Of course they do. Yeah. I think Frankenstein actually like escaped the mill and the monster was like hiding underwater somehow. Yeah, there's like, I guess, a lake in the bottom of the mill. Which obviously lakes can't burn, so he was safe. Think about all the dead skin would have gotten real soggy, though. (sighs) Can you imagine how he must smell? Do dead people's fingers shrivel when they go in water? I know they bloat. They have bloated he would have been. Oh my god. Sorry, this got really gross. gross. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. Maybe it's good that they didn't go for real um, realism with this movie. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So the doctor, Frankenstein, he gets transported back home. He, oh no, doesn't the monster actually throw him off the roof and he lands? They think he died. They think he died. I gotta be honest with you. At the end of the first movie, it seems like they all understand that he's alive. Like, it ends with him in bed, I think conscious, 
And his dad's like, oh, ho, ho, let's drink this wine and cheers to a son for the Frank house of Frankenstein. And it's like very, no one seems to think that he's died. And he's not still at the mill. But then when the second movie picks up, he's back at the mill. And they're like, he's dead. Oh, man. Which is, I mean. Well, they figure out that he isn't dead. And they do take him home so he can be nursed back to health by his dear wife, Elizabeth. His, I think, still fiance at this point in time. Oh, you're right. Soon to be wife. Yeah. The creature, on the other hand, uh, runs out into the world. He Before he does that, he murders the parents of the girl that he killed in the first movie. Because there's a scene where... Um, He tries to befriend a little girl and he accidentally drowns her. And so in this movie, he polishes off the rest of the family. Which is really weird because they never actually show that it's him doing all this murdering. No. Well, that one it it does because that's the guy who goes down into the well with him. Oh. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. But But he does kill a lot of other people. He does. And it's kind of like implied that it's someone else who's killing him. It's weird. We'll get to that part. Yeah. Because it's confusing. Um, But so instead he runs out and he he goes out into the world. um, Gets chased down by an angry mob after he tries to save a shepherdess from drowning and she screams at his ugly face. And then, like, he moves in with, like, this cool blind hermit dude for a while. Yeah. Actually has a friend for a while. He does. Before that, he does get arrested and then kill the people who are trying to keep him in prison. But you know what? Like, Shit hermits are cool. You know? And then he goes out and he meets this hermit who teaches him words. Yeah. So, meanwhile, back at the Frankenstein Manor, Dr. Pretorius shows up, who's this kind of, like, creepy, mysterious dude. Real it's odd. Like, yeah, he's old. He's got a weird beard. Mm-hmm. And he wants to convince Frankenstein to try to raise the dead again and make the monster a wife. Yeah. Frankenstein is not on board with this initially. Nope. He, that's a solid no from him. Yeah. But Pretorius convinces him to at least go with him and check out his workshop. And Pretorius's workshop is so weird. It's very strange. He's made all these teeny tiny people. He said he made it from like the seed of life, but it's never explained what that is. But still. In which case, maybe it's for the best that they don't go into a great <laughs> amount of detail. It's just the seed of life. <sighs> oh God. Ugh. Okay. So, um, basically what he makes with the seed of life are these little tiny people in jars who can... The first one was, like, a ballerina. Yeah, there's a ballerina, there's a queen, there's a king. The king is, like, definitely sexually harassing the queen the entire time. Oh, super And you know what's great, though, is he does a really good job of separating them and punishing the king for his misconduct, which, I mean, I think a lot of people could really learn from Dr. Pretorius in this scenario. They really could. No one blames the queen. No. And then there's a pope who's, like, frowning upon the king but not doing anything about it. Yeah, well, he's also in a little jar. He's also in a little jar. Yeah. And then there is a devil. There's a devil, and Dr. Pretorius is like, look at the similarities. I think he takes after me. And, yeah, there's this whole thing about Pretorius being the devil. It's it's kind of implied. So... He tries to convince Dr. Frankenstein to join him, and he he cheers uh, or toasts to a new world of gods and monsters. And Frankenstein's still kind of like, I don't know about all that, but maybe. Um, And then Pretorius offers to actually make the brain itself that will go in the monster. Yeah. So they kind of leave it a little up in the air. Yeah. He doesn't really make any harsh promises. And we... Sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. And we go back to the woods um, to see the creature hanging out with his hermit buddy. Yeah, but sadly, his happiness is short-lived as two hunters like show up to chat with the hermit and decide to attack Frankenstein's yeah. monster. So since the hermit was blind, obviously he didn't know that Frankenstein was a monster. But then again, as soon as somebody else gets involved, it turns into a violent situation and the entire house burns down. 
And he goes to, like, a crypt yeah. type thing. And we just see, like, Dr. Pretorius there, like, hanging out, having a picnic in a crypt. With some bones. With some bones. He's like, the, I some just, Some bones like, of a 19-year-old girl. Eating around bones it's and shit. I don't know. creepy. It's really odd. But, like, kind of cool at the same time. It's a little fun. It's very aesthetic, you know? If it's Pretorius, it's, like, creepy, kind of weird. But I mean, he really cool picked... Aesthetic. He picked a style and he stuck to it. He did. Which I respect. Yeah. Mad props. Yeah. So Frankenstein creeps on up and Pretorius is like, oh, hey, it's you. Do you want a wife? He's like, yo, yeah, I do. Yeah. I want someone who won't think I'm weird and run away from me all the time. He says this in fewer words, but. Yeah, no. So he um, learns English kind of from the hermit. And there's a lot of plot holes here because clearly he already understood English to a certain point because people would yell things and he would react appropriately to what they would yell. But also it's like he just learns what some words are for the first time in this situation. I will say that they were working around a scene in the book in which the monster hides under, like, in a pigsty, basically, next to these people's house, and there is a blind old man and then his two children, and he's there for, like, a year or close to a year. And which he makes learns, a lot more sense. The reason he learns English is because the girlfriend of the son shows up and she is Turkish, I think, and doesn't speak any, in the books it's French, doesn't speak any French. And so they teach her French and the monster just like watches and also learns French. See, that's great. And this is just like, friend. Yeah. <laughs> but like, there's a lot of context behind the word friend you need to understand first before just learning that this word exists. Yeah. It's a little, it's definitely not how learning a language actually works. Nope. Not at Not all. accurate. But it works out okay for him for a little while. I will say, I'm not really upset about the fact that they brought someone back from the dead and the accuracy of that, but I'm more worried about the accuracy of language skills. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I mean, I, I don't... suspend disbelief a little bit longer. Yeah, you know what? He's got a different brain. He's been through different stuff. That's true. I mean, his brain used to probably speak English. Maybe, maybe that's what it was. Well, that's true. It's just muscle memory. Yeah. So basically, Pretorius and uh, the, the monster decide to hatch a plan together. So Henry has just married Elizabeth when Pretorius and... Uh, <laughs> we haven't really touched on that. Frankenstein's name is Henry in this version. Oh, I, yeah, it is. Um, because Henry is a friendlier name than Victor. It is. The funny thing is that in the, in the first movie, there's a character named Victor and there's a character named Henry. And Victor is the part of Henry his friend Henry from the book, Henry Clairval, who has a different last name in this one as well. And I guess dies in the first one because he's not in the second one. Yeah, it's really... They swept the names between the two characters because I thought Henry was a friendlier name and Victor's less friendly. But for some reason, they didn't want to just, like, call the other guy by his last name or anything. They're like, no, yeah. he's going to be Victor now. Yeah, it's odd. And also, I think it's it's funny because I don't know of anyone for whom Henry is the, like, the first name that comes to mind when you to think of... To be fair, we don't live in the 1930s anymore. No, I just... I know that, it, like, but so many other things from these movies are, like, how we think about Frankenstein. Like, there's a hunchback and the, oh, he's alive, it's alive. And the, the lightning stuff, like, none of the explanation of how they bring these characters to life, none of that has gone into detail into the, in the book. They don't mention it. He actually makes a point of not mentioning because he doesn't want other people to follow it. Exactly. So all of that other stuff that they show in this movie is like the pop culture version of Frankenstein. Can I just say that's a Victor's really good not. way of getting around not knowing anything about science because right? women weren't like allowed to do science then. Yeah, I mean also I think that None of the guys that she was writing with would have known how to. Nah, do I don't that see either. Lord Byron <laughs> really knowing how to bring someone. Lord Byron just knew how to like hook up with a ton of people. All right, 
So Henry has just <laughs> married Elizabeth. And uh, they're about ready to just peace on out and put this behind them because they don't, they're not interested in any of this stuff. They need a nice honeymoon, man. Get away from God. the fire. Get away from the monsters. For get away real. from all the death. Yeah. Just like go live your best lives. Yeah. But that doesn't get to happen for them right away because Pretorius and the creature show up. Yeah. Pretorius definitely convinced the creature to do some, like, mean things. Yeah, he kidnaps Elizabeth and holds her hostage and and promises her safe return on the condition that Henry creates a bride for this monster. So Henry decides to go along with this plan and build the creature a bride, even though, yeah, he's not happy about that fact. But he does get into it. He gets real into it. And again... When you watch the first movie, he is super psyched to be creating a, an undead monster. Like in the books, he's like, oh, no, what have I done? But in the movie, it takes like the monster like going out and killing people before he's like, oh, I don't know if that was smart. <laughs> <laughs> so what's also interesting about this is they try and use the brain or head or something like that of a girl who had died. Mm-hmm. And it's not fresh enough, so it doesn't work. So they're like, okay, we need one that's fresher. And Pretorius sends out his henchmen who actually go and they kill a woman. To get her heart. Oh, it was her heart. There we go. For some I couldn't reason, remember what it was. The heart is like a big thing in this, yeah, book, in this I, movie. I don't get it. It's not in the first one. It's all about the brain in the first one. Yeah. So they go ahead and they get this heart fresh and they kill this woman. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is there have just been dead people showing up throughout this entire movie. And it's yeah. not ever explained who actually killed these dead people. Sometimes it is. Like sometimes you see the monster actually kill people. On but screen. when they just like they go into a house and like the maid just finds some dead people. And yeah. Like, oh no. Or like there's that party in the like the people are they find the dead girl outside yeah they're just like oh no what happened and so i was under the impression that it was supposed to be the henchmen who were killing the people for body parts yeah for the monster's that's what bride I thought also at first but then i was doing research and apparently it's supposed to be the monster who's killing all these people which makes no sense because he's just like a cool dude at this point yeah he's like not- he's mad but He's not a murderer at this point. I mean, he has murdered people, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But he isn't, like, actively trying to go out and kill just for the fun of killing. Yeah, and, like, all of the murders that you see on screen that he commits are literally, like, him trying to escape from people who won't let him go. Or accidental, like in the first movie with the little girl. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is actually something they change from the book. Because in the book, all of his murders are specifically people close to Frankenstein, who because he is killing Because he wants Frankenstein to hurt in the way that he hurts. Because exactly. he's all alone in life, and he wants Frankenstein to be all alone in life in the same way. Exactly. But in the... in Like, he doesn't even kill anybody by accident in the book. It's all intentional. Yes. But, like, he's been pushed to that point. Where in this one, he starts accidentally killing people almost right away, and then later, I guess, he intentionally kills people. I really want to see a gritty, accurate version of the book. I think it would be so interesting. Apparently, there's one with Robert De Niro as the monster. You know, I've actually heard about this. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I think Kenneth Branagh directed oh my God. it. It's like 92 or something like that. I haven't seen it, so I don't know if it's good. Um, I actually feel like I saw part of it on TV once because yeah. it was it started in the snow mm-hmm. in the same yeah. way the book yeah, does. Yeah. And I remember being like, this is weird. There's no snow in Frankenstein. <laughs> Obviously, I was a child and yeah. didn't know any better. But I think I did see a small part of it. I just completely forgot that one existed. I, think I of, like, would the love to watch it. Aaron Eckhart version that came out recently, like I Frankenstein. Oh, my God. With like that had Daniel Radcliffe in it, didn't it? I think those are two different movies. Aaron Eckhart was in I Frankenstein. And then... I think he was in Victor Frankenstein oh, yeah. was Daniel Radcliffe. You're right. They've made a lot of weird ones that are just not the story. Right? And it's such a cool story. So I would love to see the Kenneth Brown one and see if they did a good job. I, I'm not going to say go out and watch it because I haven't seen it. I've been told it's good by people whose opinions I trust, but I, you know, I don't know. Oh yeah, Victor Frankenstein. 
And it's like a modern day retelling or something like that. But they put an Igor in there. Okay. There's no Igor in the first movie. There's no Igor in the second movie. There's no Igor in the fucking books. I don't know where Igor comes from. Young Frankenstein. No, not Young Frankenstein. Um, Frankenstein's son, which is the third movie. That's ridiculous. Well, I would say that's ridiculous, but Freddy Krueger didn't get his mask. That's not the right person. <laughs> that's the wrong person, Maggie. <laughs> I would say it's ridiculous, but Jason Voorhees didn't get his mask until the third movie. And, and he's not even in the first movie. That's true. Well, he technically is. But. I mean, for like... For a, a hot second. second. He's not the villain, but he is technically in it. But I also did just get his name wrong, so I don't have any more standing <laughs> here. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm pretty sure Igor is based on a character in Frankenstein's son, which is what then kind of inspired young Frankenstein, because young Frankenstein is the grandson of Frankenstein. Of course. And then there is a hunchback in the first movie named Fritz. So they combine Igor and Fritz into one character Yeah, in young Frankenstein. Let's get through the rest of the summary of this story. We're so close to being done, I promise, guys. <laughs> so they uh, get this heart in the body, it's all put together. She's like super hot and wearing this really cool, like drapey thing. Yeah, she looks great. Shock some life into her. Her hair obviously looks fantastic, just like everyone thinks that it should. It's got the big zigzags up the side of it. Looks amazing. Um, the creature's pumped. When you get electrocuted, you get zigzags in your hair. Hashtag science. I'm gonna electrocute myself tonight because she was real pretty, and I want to be pretty like that. Sounds legit. Yeah, let's do it together. Yeah. Um, so they zap her to life. He's like, heck yeah, I got a hot girlfriend now. He's so excited. He goes, he's like, friend. And she's friend. like, ah! Is the yeah. noise that she makes. She just screams multiple times. Yeah. She she's does not, not like fan. him. Nope. No, not his, not her type. He's devastated. <laughs> he's like, everyone hates me. I feel Why? so bad for him. Uh, and so he basically chases Frankenstein and Elizabeth out because Elizabeth has like run up to the tower to see Frankenstein. And um, they find a lever. I don't know why this lever is in this building. Again, this is very um, Emperor's New Groove. Like, why do we even have this lever? Because he goes over to the lever and Pretorius is like, don't touch that. You'll blow us all to atoms. It's like, put a fucking case over it or something. Maybe a sign that says do not pull. Like, chain it in place. Don't have that lever. Remove the actual like handle from the lever so you can't actually pull it. Like there's a lot of safety precautions. So anyway, they pull the lever. Surprise, surprise. And the castle starts falling apart and blowing up. And that's it. So after that, Frankenstein's monster tells Frankenstein and his wife to go and be free and that they should live. And then stops Pretorius and says, and says that him and Pretorius and the bride all deserve to die. And so he yeah. makes sure that they all die in this castle that's blowing up. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't stick, but we don't know that at the end of this movie. I mean, we do ever know that at the end of movies, unless there's that weird, like, I don't know, Jason jumping out of the water like a fish. Yeah. Or I guess Michael Myers disappearing out of nowhere. <laughs> you guys can't see it, but Maddie was just doing a really great Jason Voorhees fish impression. That's um, a really good fish, you guys. That's a great Top five movie fish. Best movie fish. Behind Dory. Yeah. I still haven't seen Shape of Water, so I don't know how that fish Oh, uh, that could be a good fish. It's a sexy um, fish. Let's get Ariel from the Little, Little Mermaid. Yeah, she's part fish. She's also kind of sexy fish. She's underage, but I definitely feel like they sexy. still sexy her, fish. You know? Other top five movie fish. A uh, fish named Wanda. Fish named Wanda. I'll I take haven't that. seen it, but I know there's, but there's a, a fish, fish named Wanda. Briefly, so that puts us at, that's five, right? No, that's four. So we got... This Jason. is our new fish podcast. <laughs> Saturday the 15th. 
<laughs> also, I'm going to say this right now because I can see in your eyes that you're trying to go over the fish list again, that we are stopping the fish talk. <laughs> no, there has to be one more that we know for sure is a good fit. Um, Jaws. Oh, yeah. Well, he, yeah, because he is a fish because he's not a mammal because he's a, he's a, he's a shark. <laughs> Top five, no particular order. We got Jaws. We got Dory. We've got Ariel from The Little Mermaid. We have a fish named Wanda. A fish named Wanda. And... Jason Voorhees. We will be back at a later time with an updated top five movie fish list. Not that you'll listen to another episode of this. <clears throat> okay. Mm. This is obviously a sequel. As we discussed, this is one of the best received sequels, one of the earliest really great sequels. And Universal obviously was very happy with the success of Frankenstein. It was like the first time a horror movie did really, really well for them. Yeah, and they I think wanted to the, continue on even that. Even the first Dracula, I don't think, was a super big hit. I don't think it was as big as the first Frankenstein But this was. one was huge. People loved it. And so they made a sequel. Um, Which people loved even more. They really did. I think that the first one might have grossed a little bit more at the box office, but this, I mean... I think this is more beloved. Yeah. People really love it. And one of the interesting changes that they had to make, which you'll notice if you watch the first and second one back to back and I think this is one of the reasons that it was so successful as a sequel is that it was funnier I believe that yeah I mean Pretorius is definitely like a quirky kind of yeah. funny guy He's kind of funny. Um, he's got his little dancing people. Um, you see the monster just like chain smoking cigars. Like he like oh yeah, sucks the monster down like he loves a good a cigar. cigar. And then at some point, like Pretorius talks about how drinking is his only vice. And then the monster's like, "Hey, do you have a cigar?" And he's like, "Yeah, I have a cigar. Cigars are my only vice." Yeah, and it's weird little jokes like that. Him just having a picnic with a bunch of bones. Yeah, and this was kind of intentional. Um, Whale knew that he wasn't going to be able to match the horror of the original Frankenstein, and so he decided to make this one, in his words, a hoot. And I will say, in this hoot, Frankenstein still murders 10 people. No, I'm sorry. Frankenstein's monster still murders 10 people. So, and then like Pretorius's people also murder people. Yeah. So there's a lot of murders. A little of that, a lot of death, a lot of murder. Isn't murder hilarious, guys? It's It's, such a hoot. It's a hoot. And one of the reasons for this is the Hayes Code or the, the Motion Picture Production Code. Prior to 1934, there was technically a, like a a code of content um, that was on the books, but it wasn't really put into action until Joseph Breen became the head of the department in 1934. And at this point in time, um, you get into the list of, it was the um, don'ts and be carefuls, where there's like, you can't show... Children being murdered? Yeah, you can't show children being killed. You can't have your main characters be sacrilegious. Like, there's all this stuff that you can't do, and then there's stuff that you can do. Um, Like, there can be drug abuse implied but something bad has to happen because of it like that's so crazy yeah like you you had to be very very careful with the way that you presented your material or you wouldn't get approval and then that would dramatically reduce the number of places that your movie could be shown so instead of going the really devastating horror track that they went with the first movie where Frankenstein's monster accidentally murders a young girl and her father carries her body through the streets during Henry Frankenstein's wedding That's rough, man. It's okay. That scene in the first movie is one of the best and most upsetting horror movie scenes I've ever seen because it's all of these people who are out in their like lederhosen and stuff um, celebrating Frankenstein's wedding that's supposed to be happening that night. And this man is carrying this lifeless, obviously it's the real girl who is in his arms and she's just not moving, carrying her through the crowd and it just tracks him all the way through the crowd and you just see everyone around him notice what's happening and it's just you can hear all of the party sounds ahead and just the crowd going quiet as he's walking by. That's insane. It's great. It's an incredible scene, beautifully done, really devastating. Okay, I guess I have to watch this movie now. Yeah. 
it's awesome. There's no way they would have gotten away with that in 1935. It just, it would have been, yeah, yeah, it would not have gone over well. And also Frankenstein in the original is much less sympathetic. He's like, after he creates the monster, he yells by, uh, in the name of God, now I know what it feels like to be God. Like he's really leaning in on the mad scientist thing. Whereas in this one, we see him as a much more sympathetic figure who's haunted by what he's done and is, has to be dragged back into it by this other force. So these are kind of some changes that they had to make based on like what they would have actually been able to get away with at that time and it definitely adjusts the tone of the movie and it's kind of the first horror comedy yeah it is yeah think about that or one of the first big ones definitely the biggest do you think it's the biggest horror comedy i mean at this point it certainly is at the point that it was made certainly oh, definitely now i don't know the scream franchise has to be the biggest horror comedy right that and scary movie was huge yeah i mean that's more like parody i guess than an yeah. actual traditional horror comedy i guess it also depends i mean i guess funny games wasn't huge but you could even kind of consider that half comedy half just messed up yeah and there's the like cabin in the woods style where the cabin in the woods made a ton of yeah money. that was a huge success. that was a great movie yeah so whether or not bride of frankenstein is still the biggest i think it definitely opened doors that it's the reason why all these other movies can't exist yeah and i'm sure that they would have eventually existed either way um but it definitely kind of put that into people's minds good to have a trailblazer really early on yeah super super early on one of the interesting factors in the Hayes code thing is that a lot of people read a lot of gay subtext into this movie. Yeah, I was reading about that. Um, the character of Pretorius is actually um, supposed to be alluded to be gay as well. He yeah. has some qualities they say that some scholars have said indicate this, though other scholars have said like, nah, y'all are crazy. But he has a very close relationship with Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, the relationship between the monster and the hermit is said to potentially have some gay subtext. I mean, it's very very domestic partnership-y. Like, it is. And then, like, the monster is obviously very excited at the idea of a female mate. Mm-hmm. And so well, some people have said that means that monster is actually bisexual because he has this, like, strong, not qu- I, I don't know if you'd really call it a romantic connection with the hermit, but then he also is interested in this, like, woman. So there is a chance that he could find, like, these strong relationships. But he also doesn't really know the definitions of these different types of relationships. That's true. So he just knows what companionship is. He found it in these two different people. So you could also view it as a you know there's the 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 man who's alone the Mm -hmm. hermit who is you know alone and wants a friend or a companion and the monster who is alone and wants a friend and a companion they find each other and it seems like it's working out really beautifully and then the outside world in the form of these two hunters discover them and disapprove of what they see purely on the surface force them apart and more or less destroy their lives and also the monster kept referring to the man as friend and then the first thing he says to the woman is he calls her friend and so he's referring to them by the same term of endearment so it's just it's very interesting um i don't know if it was meant to be or not and one of the reasons why i read that this is actually thought of is i believe the was it the director? Yeah, James was Whale was gay. openly gay. One of the few openly gay directors or actors in Hollywood. And so it could be reading into things that aren't there, but it's an interesting way of looking at the movie. Yeah. And I think it says some it has some interesting um, statements to make on the subject. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that part of that, it, there was definitely an intentional choice to remove the family members from the hermit's life. Because in the book... Well, he ends up trying to make friends with the hermit because he um, can't see and he knows that that's probably his best He gets interrupted by the actual family members. He does. Um, But he also feels a closeness to all of them. 
because uh, he's been watching them for so long and he wants to be a part of their family. So it's a different dynamic in the book than it is in the movie. And again, you know, it might be unintentional, but I do think that a lot of times from a creator or a creative standpoint, people's real lives and their experiences sometimes come through even if they don't necessarily intend it. So it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even if James Whale wasn't necessarily like the monster's gay and he loves this hermit, there's still, you know, I mean, he experienced certain things that maybe he brought consciously or subconsciously to the movie. It makes perfect sense to me, yeah. I yeah. mean, I thought it was a really interesting statement if that's what it was intended to be, even if it wasn't intended. Yeah. The fact that it can be read like that, I mean, I do like the idea that you brought up about him them having like a happy life until others force themselves in and say, no, you can't do this. Exactly, yeah. And even, I mean, you could almost read into that that once he actually gets his female mate, he realizes it's not what he actually wants. That's true, so and she he, didn't want him either. No, he returns to what he thinks he's supposed to want and what he thinks he's supposed to have, and it doesn't go well for him either. Yeah. Oh, poor buddy. I feel so bad. I mean, again, he kills ten people, but... But... Well, not on purpose. I know. He doesn't be like... He's not like, I'm angry and I'm gonna kill people. Yeah. And in the... in the, So in the first movie, um, the reason that he ends up the way that he ends up is because Carl... No, not Carl. Carl's the name of the guy in this movie. Fritz. <laughs> who is the hunchback in the first movie, who is played by the same guy as Carl in this movie. Okay. Um, he dies in both movies. <laughs> Which one's Carl? Carl is the murderer who's helping out. Um, there we go, yes. Yeah, the guy who kills the, the lady for her heart. Carl! Carl! So in the first movie, he goes to steal a brain from a lab, and there's two brains. There's a normal brain and a criminal brain, and he messes up and accidentally steals the criminal brain. Uh. And so that's also kind of interesting because in the books, um, or in the book, there's only one. In the book, the monster is pushed to violence by rejection from the world and the fact that Dr. Frankenstein doesn't want to have anything to do with him, which basically makes it Frankenstein's fault, more or less, that all of this stuff happens to his family members. Not exactly, you know, it's still the monster's decision to do that, but... It's his rejection of his own creation that pushes him to that point. In the movie, they sort of get around blaming either the monster or Dr. Frankenstein for the monster's actions by giving him a faulty brain in the first place. So, you know, it's not Frankenstein's fault because he had planned to give him a normal brain and then he would be a normal guy. And it's not the monster's fault because he has this, you know, compulsion in his brain from the time he's created. It's also referenced very well in Young Frankenstein. I've seen Young Frankenstein a lot. It's a good movie. It's one of my dad's favorite movies. It's a really good movie. And they go in and they're looking for the normal brain and they take the Abby normal brain or abnormal. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, it's normal. It's Abby normal. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a totally kind of a different uh, way of interpreting everybody's motivations. Yeah. I like it. It's, again, it's what you change in order to make your characters more sympathetic. Yep. Also, Young Frankenstein is a masterpiece. So another thing really common in Bride of Frankenstein is that there's a lot of religious iconography. Oh, boy. So much. So, like, there's visual stuff. Like, there's a scene where they tie up the monster and um, put him on the back of this cart in order to put him into jail. And he's definitely tied up, like, basically on a crucifix. Yeah, he looks like his arms are bent a little more in. He's not straight out arms. Yeah, that's the he, only difference. Yeah, he looks like Jesus on the cross. And it's obviously intentional. Oh, yeah. Because they, like, lift him up and then they, like, linger on him for a really long time. And he's, like, looking down and everything. Um, also, apparently, in the hermit place, in his little um, shack or whatever, I didn't notice this at all, but I read about it. 
when they fade out on one of the scenes, there's a crucifix up on one of his walls that like glows. Like the special effects person made really? it glow a little bit. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't notice it at all. But I mean, it's you know, it's definitely deliberate. Uh, that was the editor's choice, though. That wasn't <laughs> that wasn't James Whale's choice. And apparently, he wasn't super happy when he found gotcha. out about it. But there's a lot there. There's even a lot of uh, sort of an allegory of like Frankenstein being a godlike figure. And the monster being either Adam or Jesus. And if you think about him in the sense of, like, a Jesus, I mean, Jesus was cast out. Exactly. And the monster father forsake him. Yeah, and the monster's cast out and his father is just gone. Exactly. Um, There is also a lot of comparison of him to Adam in the book. Sort of as he's kind of saying that he should have been more like Adam, and that's part of why he wants a mate, because he's, instead of being the first of a race and being able to gain the comfort of a companion and all of that stuff, it's just him alone in a completely strange and, and foreign world to him. Why didn't, like, Victor Frankenstein just build him a mate, like, without a uterus? I do not know. It's not that hard. It's not a necessary body part. It can be removed, which means he could have just not put it there and it would have been fine. Right? Like, if you get to build the whole thing from scratch. Just leave that part out. Exactly. It'll be okay. Exactly. So easy. Instead, in the book, he destroys it. And then in the movie... He destroys it because he doesn't want little, like, baby monsters running around. Yeah, he says they'll propagate a race of demons. They could have made it work. And there are also a lot of times that Frankenstein sort of talks about his kind of attempt to play God. Um, And again, like I said, in the first movie, when it when he he manages to bring Frankenstein's monster to life. He literally compares himself to God. Yeah, he says, now I know what it feels like to be God. And then in the sequel, Dr. Pretorius also kind of tries to inspire that in him again, and he talks about a new world of gods and monsters. And it's interesting because he tries to turn Frankenstein into a god while he himself, he compares to the devil. Yeah. So kind of have, like, the the good and the evil. Yeah. The devil thing is really interesting to me because Dr. Pretorius is obviously supposed to be a devil-type character. And in the books, there is also... A lot of references to Satan, but they're through a completely different lens. Mm-hmm. So Mary Shelley, leading up to the time that she wrote this, had read Milton's Paradise Lost. And even in the book, she talks about the monster, that being one of the books that he reads um, when he's learning about the world. In Paradise Lost, Satan is portrayed as a very sympathetic character. He's sort of almost like an anti-hero type or like a sympathetic villain where he's cast out of heaven. And a lot of it kind of revolves around his punishment and his internal torture and stuff like that. So both the monster and Dr. Frankenstein compare themselves to the devil or to Satan in the book as a more sympathetic kind of character. Like, oh, yes, I did this terrible thing and I was cast away and I'm, you know, I have to be away from where I want to be. And even the monster talks about how it's worse for him than it was for Satan because Satan at least had friends. (laughs) That's so (laughs) sad. Which is the saddest thing in the entire world. Then in the movie, by the time we get to the movie... America has a totally different relationship with what the devil would look like. Um, 1930s America is going to have a much more biblical view of the devil, and it's going to look more like Dr. Pretorius. And also, I mean, this was shortly after the um, fall of the stock market in 1929. The Great Depression was happening, and the 20s were seen to be a time of sin. I mean, prohibition was happening in 1935, so there's this really big thing about um, stamping out all sin at the same time. Yeah, so... There's no way that you could have a devil-type character in this movie and have him be a sympathetic character Not at all. all. Not in 1935. No, 
Absolutely not. And that's another kind of code thing. I mean, standards were changing and what people kind of demanded from their entertainment was totally different. Yeah. So Pretorius really leans in on the Satan stuff in the movie. He literally acts as like a tempter trying to lead Dr. Frankenstein astray, trying to lead the monster from the path of being good to humans towards the path of kidnapping. And And I mean, the whole idea of like Satan being a fallen angel and he is doing the same thing that Frankenstein's doing, but he's doing it in like an evil way. I will say Dr. Pretorius's experiments are fun little people in jars. That's true. They're so cool. Dr. Frankenstein's experiment murders like 25 people. Yeah. So I feel like if he'd like teamed up with him at the beginning... Frankenstein's monster would not have turned out so bad, and maybe he would have gotten a nice girlfriend who liked him. Or maybe just made a little tiny person. Yeah. Which, that would be better. I like tiny people. Yeah. Why not? Like, just a little, like, I don't know, like, action-figured sized person running around. <laughs> a little ballerina dancer, but she only dances to Mendelssohn. Yeah. <laughs> I like that little bit. It's so random. It's a weird, weird it's a scene. Really weird movie. I liked it. I thought it was going to be, like, incredible. I honestly like the first one in terms of it being a horror. I thought that the original Frankenstein was a better horror movie. But this one is definitely more entertaining. Good to know. I'll have yeah. to watch the first one. I haven't had time to since we watched Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> one last point that we were talking about earlier about Frankenstein's monster is that he really is the first of the big, slow, unkillable monsters in the same sort of shape as Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees. I mean, Jason Voorhees is also undead. Yeah. And it's really interesting that a lot of these characters seem to be styled in a very similar way. Yeah. I mean, I I think I know, like, everyone knows that the Frankenstein movies were very influential in horror and, um, but I think a lot of it, we kind of tend to interpret it as, like, a gothic horror or, like, a Halloween-y type of scary. But, I mean, Frankenstein's monster is eight feet tall. He's taller than normal. He's undead. He's shot, like, five times in this movie. He gets shot a lot. And in the books, it even outright states that Bullets don't hurt him as badly as they hurt other people, and also cold does not affect him, and hunger does not affect him in the way that it affects him. So he just keeps going. Yeah. He's also very fast in the books. He's slower in the movie, but he still covers good ground. Unusually strong. Holds grudges. Yeah, he does. Super hard. I mean, and if you look at it from, like, the villager's perspective, there's just this, like, if you don't know about the sympathetic part, if you don't know about how he's having a hard time fitting in at school and all that stuff, he's just a huge guy on a rampage. Not really at school, but, you know, he's getting bullied by the other kids on the plane. No, I get that. Um, yeah, I mean, just imagine this. All you know is there's an eight-foot-tall, huge, strong, fast, scary-looking guy made up of dead body parts who's running around killing people, and you don't know anything about it. You'd be terrified. That is just the plot of a slasher movie. It really is. Like, I mean, imagine, I he, like, hits people. He doesn't stab them. Imagine but... if, like, Jason was just trying to make friends the entire time, and no one stopped to listen to him. Maybe, maybe Michael Myers is just, like, a big old soft he just wants someone to watch a Disney movie with him. The real Halloween is the friends we make along the way. All right, so what are we doing next time? So we are going to watch Candyman. Yay, I've never seen Candyman. I've seen it once. I really enjoyed it. I would love to see it again. It's like super spooky, but like kind of sexy at the same time. Ooh, kind of like Frankenstein. Kind of like Frankenstein. I mean, his monster specifically, who is both creepy and incredibly sexy. You know I got a thing for the mad scientists. <laughs> I personally love eight-foot-tall zombie men cobbled together from corpses. I find, like, six-foot-tall guys being eaten by bees. I don't know. Oof. This doesn't work. I mean, working. that's... <laughs> um, no, there is, like, this really cool, like, 
almost romancy subplot in Candyman. It's uh, all about urban legends and about like people forcing other people to become monsters in various ways. And it's an awesome movie, and I'm really excited to see it again and talk about it with you guys on the next uh, recording. I'm super excited as well. I'm trying to find out where you can watch Candyman right now. Um, I don't know because I just Googled it, but I'm sure you can find a place. Yeah. Find it somewhere. Oh, it's so good. Until then, have a wonderful couple weeks. Yep. Drive safe. We'll talk to you again soon. Text us if you need us. And uh, we love you. Love you, love you. Mwah!